episode. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! So, very excited to start this new podcast. Um, as some people who are listening might know, I had an old podcast called Hollywood's Haunted, but I no longer live in Hollywood. Doesn't mean I don't care about Hollywood stories or hauntings or anything, but I now live in the wonderful, weird city of Las Vegas, and I have a weird job out here that uh, will remain a secret. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, but if you pay attention to the context clues, you'll probably figure out where I work. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, may or may not work for a famous. <laughs> I'm already giving it away. Okay, never mind. Someone who may or may not be famous in the world of weird stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's already like it's, it's already that's bad. Already bringing it down to like twenty people. That's Where great. does she that's work? Funny, yeah. Who does she work for? Who's uh, Dennis Hoff is dead, so I don't work for him. So oh, man. yeah, everybody's another context, everybody's another context clue right there. Oh, oh. That. Um, (laughs) all right. Well, we may or may not cut all that out. So, um, but I'm very excited to talk about stories that I find interesting and that are, uh, about this weird world that we live in and weird history and paranormal and, um, aliens, which is our subject today. So before we get started out, my name is Tia Bean. Hi. Hello. What's up? Hey, I'm Tia Bean. Our other host today for our episode is the lovely Teresa. Yay. Yeah. And you. our producer today is the wonderful Patrick, as always. Yes, Patrick. He's the guy in the corner. Join, join. Yeah. <laughs> the guy in the corner. That sounds like a spooky yeah. Something right there. So yeah. Uh, and our co-producer Josh, who helped set up Teresa, we should shout out to him. Thank you, Josh. Yes. Uh, he co-produced several other episodes, and we never mentioned him, so we'll give him his due credit yeah, now. Right, yeah. yeah. Giving credit, that. Josh. Oh, thank we'll you. We'll just edit much. it, Josh. <laughs> like mm-hmm. any other episode. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. It's a fancy yeah. word in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so today's episode is entitled the one with alien abductions or the one with aliens. I'd like to, I'm, I want to title them like friends episodes because I, um, this is a podcast with my friends. I know. (laughs) I know. Right. So is that, is Teresa and Monica or is like Rachel? I'm the Phoebe. Definitely. You're Phoebe. Um, Actually, no, I'm more like the episode where with the one. (laughs) The girl who hits Joey uh, when Punky Brewster comes on Friends, oh. and she's she's physically abusive to Joey. I feel like I. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I yeah. I'm very intimidating, and so <laughs> I don't abuse my husband I was, though. Okay? I was gonna say her connection to Friends. Don't punch, tell them. Punching for Friends. <laughs> don't tell them <laughs> that. Go go back to your corner. Right? Yeah, it's live in the corner. It's live off camera. Um, can't can't show my shiners. So, anyways, <laughs> I know Teresa from working with her at, at a restaurant on Hollywood Boulevard, 
and she <laughs> was a wonderful tour guide for my company, Hollywood's Haunted Tours, when we ran t- walking tours in Hollywood when I lived there. She's also a wonderful co-host for Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, and uh, is also into all of this weird stuff, as I am, and <laughs> lovely actress, co- co-starred with me in The House of Yes, um, and awesome. Loved various it. other weird projects I've made her do. I've made her <laughs> wear prosthetic makeup and be the Black Dahlia, and... Yes. Uh, Yes, yeah. So she's one of my most all. loyal friends. What's that? I said I love it all, Tia. Thank Yay, you. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So with that, uh, if you would go first, because I think your story oh. really yeah. introduces what we're going to talk about today. So. Absolutely. Uh, it's a pretty wild ride. I don't know if you're ready, but <laughs> it's very. I got my wow. Took me for a ride. Yeah. Um, first of all, I should say that um, before I even, you know, started researching the topic, I guess I didn't really look at what you wrote above the, you know, something that had UFO in the title. And so when I read The Abduction of Betty and Barty Hill, I don't know, for some reason in my mind, I was thinking of like in a kidnapping by humans, you know, or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but then of course, once I did a quick search, yeah, no, <laughs> it was a, mm-hmm. absolutely not human and alien. So alien has always been, or aliens, I should say, um, <laughs> has always uh, been a strange um i'll just say i've been scared before in the past it's terrifying the thought of being abducted (laughs) by a human let alone something that is inhuman so yes i've stayed away from you know the whole topic prior to now um so i guess i'm saying all this because (laughs) i'm admitting that i'm out of my comfort zone but it is very um interesting and you know, I already watched the whole X-Files finally last year. So um, I, I think I broke, hopefully, most of my alien phobia because I, yeah. like I, I feel like I definitely had one, which is weird because I love ghosts, not crazy about aliens. So yeah. not sure. <laughs> but anyway. I feel, like, I feel like aliens have like a tad bit more like fit into reality a little bit. I mean, you know? it's yeah. more tangible, you yeah. know, like when you can debunk ghosts sometimes you know in certain situations you can be like oh that was just the wind that was this or that but like there's like when you start thinking about aliens you're like no that that could be a thing like there's so much unknown about the universe and so i I don't want to say proof but a lot of people backing up Mm -hmm. these stories were in high-ranking jobs yes Yes, definitely. But yeah. And I think it also goes down to sleep paralysis is also very terrifying. And in many of these situations, you're mm-hmm. helpless, you know? Yeah. That's true. When you always, when you hear these abduction stories, they're usually like, yeah, I was paralyzed and they did what all the shit to me. And it's like, yeah, that's fucking the most terrifying shit in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. So terrifying. You know? Definitely. So 
Yes, without further ado, let's get into the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. Um, yeah, <laughs> like I said, it's quite quite the wild ride. Um, so uh, the first thing I thought about them was their names. The only other Betty and Barney that are famous are, of course, Betty and Barney Rubble from the Flintstones. So <laughs> I had to make that association first. Um, but after those two, uh, they are the most famous Betty and Barney pair. Um, they're fame comes from a series of very strange events that they underwent on an otherwise quiet night in the rural landscape of the East Coast. So their big deal was that they claim they were abducted by aliens. Uh, oh, sorry, let me back up just a quick bit before I go on. Um, I should let you know that um, this was in the uh, early 60s, early 1960s here in the United States. Um, at the time, the couple, they were middle-aged. And the thing that's also really important to know about Betty and Barney Hill is that they were an interracial couple. So you can imagine, of course, the first thing I thought, because of course, when you do a search for them, they'll pop up and their picture pops up right away. And so that's the first thing you notice is that they are this interracial couple um, in the early 60s. So, of course, you know, that had to be difficult, to say the least, um, at that time. Um, but we'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, but Barney was a, uh, a postal worker and he was also a civil rights leader. And Betty was a social worker and also a civil rights advocate. Um, they were pretty heavy into um, extending service to the community in that way. Um, and um, they were pretty big into their church. Um, so they, you know, were, they considered themselves to be, um, you know, pretty good citizens, I guess you could say. Um, so, but this this is about the night uh, that they had the abduction. Uh, their claim has gone down in history as having the distinction of being the first major widely known alien abduction tale. But is it just a tale or did it really happen? And that, as we used to say on the tour all the time, is definitely up for you to decide. <laughs> because it's very uh, controversial one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, their, their case is known to kind of have been the case to kind of change everything about what people in general, you know, who are into learning about this, think about alien abductions. Um, because UFO sightings were not uncommon in the 1960s, but uh, tales of abductions were that wasn't all that common. Um, so once th their story came about, it definitely changed everything. So let's see the basic story. So on the night of September 19th, uh, 1961, around 10 30 PM, 
Betty and Barney Hill were traveling back to their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, from a much needed getaway trip up north. And they had gone to Niagara Falls and they had gone to uh, Montreal in Canada. And uh, they stopped at a diner to have a late night bite and get some coffee to kind of try to stay awake. And they were back on the road by 10 p.m. They were tired, but they figured if they could push through, they'd make it back home to Portsmouth around three in the morning. As they reached the um, White Mountains, which is near uh, Lancaster, New Hampshire, uh, it's a rural area on a lonely stretch of US Route 3 was where they went through those mountains. And all of a sudden, Betty, noticed an incredibly bright white light moving strangely. At first she thought it was a shooting star, only the star was, instead of falling, kind of, so to speak, it was seemed to be rising up in the air. Um, so she didn't know what to make of that at all. She got really scared and, um, you know, she's she and Barney are trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Barney had actually an ex-military background, and he kind of logically tried to explain away the bright glowing light as something more natural, like from maybe a satellite or some kind of light reflecting from somewhere. There must be a logical explanation for it, of course. Uh, but they pulled over to get a better look at it. And the time after that becomes extremely fuzzy for them. Um, it's said that at the, oh, I'm sorry. It's said that the Hills lost about two hours of consciousness where the events they alleged to have happened are blacked out or blocked out in their minds. Uh, so as they as they closer inspected the light and they used um, binoculars to do this, uh, Barney said that he saw uh, a kind of disc shaped looking object that was as large as a jet, but flat as a pancake. And this of course would be the spaceship. Um, Barney uh, at that time also noticed that there were humanoid looking creatures inside of the craft looking back at him um Ugh. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so um of course he's totally creeped out um but he can't stop looking at them and he's still looking at them through the binoculars um but you know they they kind of i mean they see him looking at them and uh, he said that the leader or someone else who was in charge at that time told him to stand still, stay exactly where he was and keep looking, just keep looking like so creepy. It's in more than one retelling. Um, you know, I would think it was, I mean, obviously all of it is <laughs> pretty crazy, but 
yeah, mm-hmm. to to know that somebody is kind of like trying to command you to just stay there and keep watching this. It's like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, um, um, so, so yeah, the last thing that they remember before their alleged abduction was that there was unusual buzzing noises, buzzing or beeping noises. And that was possibly bouncing off of their trunk of their car. They weren't really sure. Um, But that's the last thing they remember um, before they kind of lost this consciousness and lost this two hours of time. Um, But so going back to Barney, when he was there looking through the binoculars, yeah, at that point, he said he saw what he described to be what would be become known in, you know, kind of the UFO circles as grays. So that that's mm-hmm. the grays as, you know, the grays are basically, you know, what we've come to think of as the stereotypical alien, you know, let's has a humongous head. It's about, you know, five foot gray, gray skin, obviously, um, mm-hmm. with, you know, large slanted, maybe almond shaped eyes. Um, so kind of the typical alien, the typical alien, basically, that's what, what Barney was describing that he saw. And actually that's also what he drew, um, when he was in a session, uh, one of the sessions with a hypnotist, which I'll get into in a little bit. But Mm -hmm. so, so anyway, Barney said that he saw these creatures and then at that point, um, he realized that, you know, they were. Uh, possibly very probably going to be captured. So he, uh, you know, told Betty to get back in the car and start driving like hell to try and get away. Um, But that for whatever reason, they couldn't do that. And they were just kind of compelled to stay there. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they did actually, you know, get abducted, according to them, and they were you know, forced to go on the the spacecraft. Um, and then at that point, they were separated and they were medically experimented on. They were able to communicate in English, they said, um, not to each other, of course, because they were separated, but um, to the other creatures on the ship, they were able to communicate in English, but only through telepathy. Um mm-hmm. And Betty actually said that even though she could understand the English, that it wasn't that clear to her. It was like kind of like English as a second language, you know, kind of broken English. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, per, you know, whoever it was, the creature could make itself known and understood. Mm-hmm. Um, at the conclusion of their experiments, then the Hills were told that they would not remember anything. They were released and they came back to consciousness, like I said, about two hours later in their car, but they were 35 miles down the road. So they were in a completely different town and they didn't recall driving there at all. Um, Mm -hmm. They didn't get home until the next morning um and their trip definitely took longer than it should have at that point um it it took like about seven hours and it wasn't supposed to take that long so 
there's a big question of what where all the missing time came from. Um, so they felt exhausted and they felt that something extremely strange had happened. Um, there's kind of a lot of evidence to uh, according to them that uh, things may have happened because, for instance, they were both wearing mechanical wristwatches, uh, but when they got back home, their watches would no longer work. And I guess they never worked after that ever again. Um, and different items of their clothing were damaged. Uh, Barney's best dress shoes that uh, he had been wearing on the trip, and they were perfect when he packed them, um, and he didn't touch them again. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, no, he didn't pack them. He was wearing them, but they were perfect when, when they left. Um, but then they got all scraped up and scuffed, and he had no account for that. Uh, Betty's dress was torn, and there was no explanation for that. She actually, when she got home, she hung it up in the closet. Um, and then she looked at it a little bit later after that, after she she had fallen asleep, she woke up. And then when she looked at the dress, it had a pinkish powder all over it. Uh, and she couldn't explain that at all. Um, and actually, um, she went to go take the dress and just throw it out because she figured, well, I can't do anything with this. It's I'm not going to wear this again. But then she actually went and got it back out of the garbage <laughs> and decided to hang it up in her closet again. And her dress would be apparently tested like by scientists and whomever, researchers. Um, it was tested for all kinds of things but it was inconclusive nothing ever came of it but the dress was permanently discolored from that pinkish powder and so there's no explanation for that um there was a the binoculars that they were using to to watch everything from the leather strap uh was torn on the binoculars and barney says he doesn't remember that at all he doesn't recall that happening um so after this, you know, incident, they tried to go about their daily lives as normal, but Betty was having disturbing, very detailed dreams. They were more like nightmares, though, where she had these memories of the abduction. Um, and Barney, he didn't really have any dreams, but he developed um, ulcers and high blood pressure. Uh, both of them had a lot of anxiety. Um, due to the heavy stress of dealing with all the trauma. Um, so they couldn't find any logical explanation for it. So they both decided to seek medical help. And um, eventually they would undergo hypnosis from uh, a doctor, Ben Simon. Um, and he at the time was known to be a renowned hypnotist. And this was recommended to them because they were just going through so much turmoil and agony in their daily lives. They just couldn't function anymore and they were willing to try anything. So um, they decided that, you know, they would go to Dr. Simon and see if he could help. So um, Dr. Simon uh, hypnotized and interviewed them separately, um, but they both recalled almost identical events. Um, they had sessions where 
he would just um, basically try to unlock all of their memories. Um, and they did have a lot of memories at that point that came pouring forth for them. Um, so this was in um, 1964. And I should also say, I mean, in addition to being, you know, using hypnotism, he was a psychiatrist. I mean, he was board certified and all that. So um, that, that was his primary thing. But he used hypnotism as a means to try and help them. Um, so oh, I'm sorry. Let's see. I lost my place here. So um, the probably the most um, convincing piece of information to come through these hypnotic sessions for anybody who, you know, believes in this is the drawing of the star map by Betty. Now, when I say, and that, and it's, it's known as um, uh, Zeta Reticuli. And Zeta Reticuli is actually a star and it's part of the Reticulum constellation. And she drew that map um, from the hip, hypnotic session um, because she was asked um, if she knew any information about where, you know, the aliens came from. And she said that supposedly when she was on the ship that she had a conversation with one of the alien creatures um, about where, where they were from. Um, and that he tried to explain it to her and he showed her a map. So this map um, was apparently what she was recreating uh, for the doctor under the session. Um, so at the time, uh, that was in 1964, and at that time, it didn't match any known constellations. So it was just a big mystery. Um, but then it became known in 1969 um, as uh, its position from Earth. It's 39 light years from Earth. Um, so this, this became known to astronomers at that point. And the weird thing about it was that it seemed to kind of match Betty's map. Uh, what, you know, it, both of them kind of linked up a bit. So, so that was really strange. And um, definitely if you're more interested in that, I would, um, you know, type in Zeta Reticuli because that's about as far as I can get into it. It's really, um, it's really like astronomy heavy. So I got kind of lost in a lot of the term, a lot of the terminology, I'm but Googling it uh, right now. Yeah. But the base, the basics of it. Um, you know, that's kind of the basics of it. So that was my, that was my little layman's interpretation of it. But, um, I should mention that, um, the, their abduction is, is known as the Hill abduction. And it's also known as the Zeta Reticuli incident. So hmm. yeah, if you're more interested in that, look it up. Um, so did you find something? Showing, showing oh. Pat. oh no. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like a little square. Yeah, it's, it's a constellation map. Um, but like I said, that's as much as I know about it. It started talking about degrees and angles and 
Mm-hmm. I just uh, I got lost in the numbers. So, <laughs> but all I all I can I can say with certainty that um, the astronomy um, shoot I forget exactly what it was called, but it wasn't a, a magazine, a, a a noted publication for astronomers at the time, and it's still I believe it still publishes today, but. Um, so I told you it was called the Zeta, sorry, I got to look it up again. The Zeta Reticuli incident. They call it the Zeta Ridiculi incident because (laughs) they don't believe in it at all. Even though they allowed, um, the article to be published, um, they say it was a mistake and they shouldn't have let that happen. Um, so they kind of went back on on what on their word um but yeah just thought that was interesting <laughs> um so did it actually happen well like i said before that's who's who's to say really i mean the hills certainly right. believe <laughs> the hills certainly believe it happened um but uh you know both of them are are no longer here. You know, Barney died in 1969 from a brain aneurysm, essentially. So he died really young. He was only like in his late forties. Um, so Mm. Betty was widowed, um, at that point and she never got married again and she lived pretty long. She died in 2004. So she lived to be like 85 and she had, um, lung cancer. Um, so they're not here anymore to talk about this, obviously, but, um, it's yeah. said that Betty, uh, until her death, you know, she, Betty was the bigger believer in this whole thing, basically. Um, I mean, it's not that Barney didn't kind of accept that this is what happened, that they were abducted, but mm-hmm. Betty was the one who really, really believed it and would still go back to the site many times uh throughout the years and try and make sense of things or you know try and i don't know maybe just try and reminisce or something like that but um she was the bigger believer but Mm -hmm. uh the doctor that hypnotized them dr simon his conclusion his ultimate conclusion was that the case was a singular psychological aberration so it was like a one-time thing it's you know probably just some crazy phenomena that's never going to happen like ever again Mm. like some something huh i was gonna say except for the many people that it happens to yeah yeah (laughs) i mean i guess (laughs) i guess the hills probably were his only patients of that nature maybe um but but yeah uh definitely that's yeah, that was his ultimate conclusion. Uh, but, you know, some other psychiatrists, because many have weighed in on on this case, some of them thought that, and this is getting back to their, their um, I guess, place in society, you could say, at the time. Um, some of the psychiatrists thought that it could have been a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in the 1960s. Hmm. So both, you know, the Hills 
and Dr. Simon disagreed heavily on this. Betty Hill, when she was confronted with that um, kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, not an accusation, theory, I guess. When she was presented with that, you know, she said, no, no, there's nothing, my marriage is great and all our friends and family are okay with, you know, the, the way that we are and, um, mm-hmm. you know, basically that there's nothing, there's nothing to cause them stress, you know, in other words. Um, but, you know, I don't know, some psychiatrists lean heavily on that theory. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, kind of all of the, the attention came into their lives because prior to this, you know, so the incident happened in 1961 and, you know, it took probably about another four or five years for them to kind of come into the public knowledge as having been abducted and having been this huge, you know, this intricate story of, of, you know, their abduction. Um, so after that, you can imagine, you know, the books and the TV series started started happening. Um, and there's a couple books you can look into if you're more interested in this topic. Um, the Interrupted Journey was the first book, and that was in 1966. And then um, another uh, widely known book about this topic is Captured. The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. And that one was actually written by Betty Hill's niece, Kathleen Mm -hmm. Martin. Um, And Kathleen was also the founder of the Mutual UFO Network. So she obviously uh, believed her aunt and uncle's story about (laughs) their abduction fully and wanted to, um, you know, further support them um, in telling their story. Um, then there was also a 1975 TV film called the UFO incident. And in that one, James Earl Jones actually played the part of, (laughs) of Barney. So that's quite, quite a big honor. Uh, of course, Barney was, wasn't even alive at that time anymore, sadly, but, um, uh, yeah, so that's one film you can check out if you're interested on that. Also, um, I thought this was cool because, like I told you guys, I mentioned that I last year uh, finally watched all the X Files in entirety. Um, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the X Files episode um, Jose Chung's from Outer Space use, uh, uses heavily details of the case. Mm-hmm. Um, There is a roadside marker that's placed at the site where the incident happened, uh, and that's on Route 3, which is also called the Daniel Webster Highway in Lincoln, New Hampshire. And the uh, marker is titled Betty and Barney Hill Incident. It's kind of crazy that they just have that plaque up there. I mean, I would love to go see it in person. I was reading it, you know, and basically... It was literally just a summary, a, a very short summary of the events that happened. I'm like, yeah. wow, like only because the only other place that I've been to in the United States um, that is so 
much about aliens is um, Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah, I still so, need to go check out Roswell. Oh yeah, you should. It's it's very cool. The UF or shoot, I forget what it's called actually, but there there's a great museum there. You'll love it. Like it totally creeped me out. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. Um, but anyway, on on the East Coast, I guess if you're looking for, you know, an alien destination. Well, that's it, more or less, the, the sign there. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but this is the big one. Um, there's also a gas station on Route 3 that moonlights as an alien abduction museum. So that's mm. a little bonus. You could go check out the gas station. I definitely would. Those kind of yeah. places oh, yeah. always have the best stuff. <laughs> yeah. They're so weird. <laughs> um, so a couple... Um, Closing thoughts about um, uh, or that some different people offered about all of this is that um, before the Hills told their story, um, alien encounters were apparently friendly, according to uh, some researchers. Uh, This guy, Christopher uh, Bader, who is a, a professor of sociology at here in California, uh, where I am, sorry, um, you guys are in Nevada now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, here in California, it's at Chapman University. And he says that um, some aliens even lived on Earth and commuted back on the weekends. I like that. That's really, that's nice. Um, <laughs> that job, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, let me just go check out this planet for a minute, and I'll yeah. catch you in a few. I'll come back. <laughs> um, so the Hill story would they would change this though? They would change kind of this um, positive vibe, I guess, mm-hmm. that the aliens had going for them that I didn't even realize because I only knew about the scary part, which has yeah. been emphasized. And um, I want, I wonder if that has to do with the fact that they went through hypnosis. Yeah. Prior to that, because like I, I heavily get the impression through many of these stories that the aliens either don't want you to remember anything, or they only want you to remember the positive aspects right. of it. Right. And only through dreams and nightmares later, or hypnosis, are the negative facts brought up that's true yeah i didn't think about that uh, yeah especially with some of the research that i did for my story when i get into it was that uh there was one particular story that i had heard where this little girl was abducted and the alien who led her up to the ship she was told by the alien i'm your best friend i love you and she felt a warm connection to that alien. She called him Kevin. And uh, <laughs> then she referred to the other aliens on the ship as the other Kevins, but they were the evil Kevins because they were they did bad things to her. Thanks. So it's weird how she they were trying to give her this positive about it. Mm-hmm. Like it was a good thing to go with kevin you know yeah (laughs) oh it's true like they yeah yeah, their tactics sound 
kind of similar to yeah. to what these guys went through. So yeah, that is. I feel like that, and that's kind of what I was gonna. That that leads me right into my next um, discovery about them was that you know their story would would change. You know, the nice, friendly, we come in peace alien to the mm-hmm. you know scary gray want to experiment on my body alien mm-hmm. um and their story would kind of become the the template for common abduction themes like medical examinations and missing time and mm-hmm. of course the description you know of the gray aliens like i said with the big heads and big eyes and yeah that kind of shaped you know pop culture too because uh, like I mentioned, the X-Files, of course, is a really good example of that kind of humanoid alien, um, but also Close Encounters of the Third Kind at that time in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Humongous uh, movie for that. Um, so uh, one more or two more closing thoughts on it. Um, it was really interesting to find out that a lot of psychiatrists namely psychiatrists are like really interested in this topic because they want to know why people are experiencing this or kind of they say that it gives them insight into how the human mind works how the brain works and I thought that was really interesting I I never thought about it from that aspect but um, this guy uh, who's a Harvard psychologist I got a quote from him because it's actually pretty harsh. He obviously doesn't, is not a believer, <laughs> but he says his name is uh, Richard J. McNally. And um, he was quoted as saying, the alien abduction phenomenon, in my opinion, shows how sincere non-psychotic individuals can develop beliefs about and false memories of incredible experiences that never happened. And he said that this group of people scores high in what he calls magical ideation. And that group of people, that same group of people is more than likely to also believe in ghosts mm-hmm. <laughs> and tarot card readings. Ooh. So, you know, don't come r- near Richard J. McNally with any of this stuff because yeah. he's just going to well, think you're I mean, a cuckoo. <laughs> I feel like once you've had a, I wouldn't say paranormal, I guess paranormal or a phenomenal experience, Yeah, I could understand why you would believe in other things, you mm-hmm. know, because you're, your mind has been opened to something that you can't explain, Yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and sorry to interject, but this is no, a no. great, great uh, first episode because this is kind of defined weird, you know, it's like that's I think that's what the most enjoyment of all um, researching these things is the unknown. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what separates humans from other species is wanting to figure those things out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a general curiosity that keeps us going forward. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
Yeah. I would say, like, also because a lot of these people were being abducted, like, okay, so from when I, in researching my story, uh, yeah, I came yeah. across a lot of incidences where people were being abducted multiple times throughout their lives and kind of being targeted, like they were a control in a test, like they were yeah, a test yeah. subject, so they needed to be checked on oh, throughout wow. this experiment. Yeah. And... I could see as a kid, you know, your idea of what reality is, is very different. And we believe in Santa Claus and God and Mm -hmm. uh, the Easter bunny. You like how I put all that together. Uh, um, Don't forget the tooth fairy. The tooth fairy. So being abducted by aliens, you're like, oh, that's just a thing that exists. So if aliens exist, of course... I will believe in all of these other things, you know, yeah, and I yeah. could see how these people who've been abducted would, I don't know, just would just be accepting of other things. So I don't think it's a negative that I don't think it says what that guy is trying to say about these people that they're not yeah. to be trusted because they just, they're he's trying to infer that they're gullible. Basically. Yeah. yeah. It's not that. I don't think it is that. I don't either. I think that's too easily dismissive of, yeah. you know, like I'm not really, um, I'm not really sure about the Hills case, honestly, when, uh, you know, coming away from it, I'm still completely undecided. I really mm-hmm. don't know, you know, but am I more willing to believe than not? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just me. That's who I am. You know, I mean, um, I don't know. You just got to make up, make up your mind on what seems possible and what doesn't. And I guess my mind is just pretty open. So yeah. I'm just really willing to like go there. And that is huge for me because now, I mean, now at this point in time, cause you know, like I said, in the past, I probably would have just not even contemplated it at all. Just <laughs> run away mm-hmm. screaming type of thing because I can't deal with it, but you know, after finding out all this information on their experience and knowing that they were the first, um, you know, people to kind of become famous more or less for having undergone this alien abduction, that was like pretty compelling to me. I thought that was really, you know, a big deal. Um, and there's actually something that you can, um, that you can watch right now that just like came out. Um, It's the fourth episode of Showtime's UFO docu-series and it focuses on the Hills case. Um, So if you have Showtime or you can probably look up a clip on YouTube, I'm sure, Um, but they actually have a recording of Barney Hill um, talking about his experience and so, what he saw. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's like audio recording, I think. Um, well, at the very least, it might be video, but no, probably not. No, I think it's just audio. Anyway, <laughs> you can watch it on Showtime. And I guess it's just, like I said, it's called UFO and it's a docu-series. So, yeah, anyway. Um, but, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, yeah. that's essentially the story uh, of what happened to them. Um, oh, wait, I should say before I 
close out on them that I forgot to mention that um, that Betty um, on the two days after they were they experienced the abduction, Betty called the Air Force Base, the nearest one to uh, report the incident, but she didn't give any details at the time. She said she was, you know, worried about the perception and she said she was worried about radiation. Mm -hmm. She get that's what she told them. Um, but they interviewed her and they just, uh, they dismissed it. They, they said that, uh, she, they must've been misidentifying the planet Jupiter. Um, so they didn't believe, believe her at all. They actually wrote up a whole report about it, but they, you know, wound up throwing it out. But, um, there was, there were obviously other people that believed her, um, that were, might've moved in those circles but um officially mm. officially there was n it was inconclusive uh, on so, the record yeah exactly. <laughs> officially by the government who is always covering things up as we know yeah <laughs> so yeah that was um that was their tale so yeah did it happen i don't know what do you guys think yeah <laughs> Awesome. Thank you for that story. That was really awesome. Yeah. Um, my story is very similar to that story. Um, and there might be some parallels between the two. So like I said, yeah, I did change my story. And what I had originally planned, uh, I think I'll do on another podcast. So this will be a little <laughs> surprise for you. This Ooh. is uh called uh the, i don't know if this is the official name of this story true story or is it it is uh <laughs> the manhattan bridge abduction dun, 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 dun. so um i'm gonna use this woman's alias that she originally even though you can look up who this woman is i'm gonna use her alias for two reasons i one i feel like it's respectful to the person mm -hmm. um like on my skinwalker skinwalker ranch episode like you can look up who the person is you know that that story was about but i think out of respect using their originally intended alias is respectful and two i cannot pronounce her actual last name to save my life so <laughs> Uh, so this will be the abduction of Linda Cortiel, which is her alias that she wants to go to or wants to go by. Oh, okay. around 3 a.m. on November 30th, 1989, Linda Cortiel woke in her bed in her Manhattan apartment in New York and there saw what she believed was a figure standing at the foot of her bed watching her. All, all of the windows and doors are closed to her apartment. The next thing she knows, she's on an examination table in an exam examination room with several of these strange creatures around her. Uh, she knew, knew that these creatures were the greys from other descriptions that she mm -hmm. had seen before. So your typical gray mm -hmm. alien with big eyes. Then she's back in her room. All this happened while her husband was still asleep next to her in the bed. What? 
So that's what she initially remembers from the incident. So um, somehow she gets in touch with a man named Bud Hopkins. And he helps her go uh, go under a hypnotic regression. And a fuller, uh, more detailed story comes out. So before I get into that, a little bit about who Bud Hopkins actually is. So Bud Hopkins, he is an American artist. He was born in 1931 and raised in Wheelie, West Virginia. At age two, he contracted polio. And during his long recovery, he developed a love for drawing and watercolors. Uh, He went to Oberlin College. After college, he moved to New York, where he made friends with famous abstract expression artists. And he studied at Columbia. He sold tickets at the Museum of Modern Art. And he ended up having his first solo show in 1956. In 1976, he was awarded the Guggenheim Fellowship for painting. And he appeared in magazines and journals and lectured at art schools. So he made most of his money and his notoriety as being a really well-known and well-acclaimed artist for Mm -hmm. uh, his abstract art, his drawing, watercolors. He did wood carvings. Um, But he would later have a interest in UFOs. So as a child, he experienced... Orson Welles' War of the Worlds firsthand. He heard it on the radio. And he talks about how he was actually terrified, but later became very skeptical of alien stories because of it coming out that it was not true. Hmm. And also him contracting polio, he had to be bedridden, and he makes a lot of parallels to this feeling of not knowing his body, not, you know, feeling like his body is his and being not in control, which he does a lot of parallels to that, to how people feel when they're abducted by aliens. But in August of 1964, he and two friends saw a UFO in daylight over Cape Cod. So, Bud Hopkins, in 1989, Bud Hopkins formed the Intruders Foundation in Manhattan to provide support for victims of alien abduction, conduct conduct research, and investigate prom- uh, and promote public awareness of the phenomena. Uh, and he also wrote many books about UFOs, one being entitled Missing Time, which mm-hmm. has to, I'm pretty sure he's in that mentions Benny and Barney Hill. He'd have to. Uh, he also wrote a book called Intruders, and mm. his research is what went on to inspire Close Encounters, the movie. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, mm. In 1994, he met a writer and filmmaker, Carol Rainey, and they married in 1996, and they shared a fascination with alien abductions and stories. So actually... That brings me to part of my, I should have mentioned earlier, my um, sources. So uh, most of my stuff came from ufoinsight.com, an article written by Marcus Louth. 
uh, BuzzFeed's Unsolved uh, Top 3 Abduction Stories, Wikipedia, and a movie or a documentary called The Priest of High Strangeness, uh, co-creation of the UFO uh, alien abduction phenomena, directed and produced by Carol Rainey. Mm -hmm. And can I just say, Carol Rainey is extremely skeptical of her story, uh, of, uh, of this story, Linda's story, and of Bud Hopkins in general. Even though she's like one of his full fullest supporters, she is extremely skeptical of this stuff, which I'll get into a little bit later. That's, that's interesting. Wow. So in 1996, Hopkins wrote the book Witness, the True Story of the Brooklyn Bridge UFO. And uh, on August 21st, 2011, Hopkins dies of complications of cancer. But so he gets in touch or she gets in touch with Bob Hopkins somehow. And he does this hypnotic regression on her mm -hmm. and a fuller picture begins to emerge. So Linda would later describe how she was taken through the ceiling of her apartment uh, as if it wasn't there. And then she would recall how she was standing above nothing uh, before seeing an opening in a disc above. She entered the ship and recalled seeing lots of benches and sliding doors as she was brought down a hallway. Many lights and buttons were also prominent in her field of vision. Uh, she was eventually placed on a table, large table. And this is where she started to become very afraid. They put an instrument up her nose and she would yell and scream until one of the figures said something unrecognizable and put his hand over her mouth until the procedure was over. Oh my God. <laughs> so... Uh, so, uh, as local, so this, as local publicity went further, Hopkins would, he would be reached or reached out by two men. So he eventually got in contact with these two men who reached out to him and they called themselves Richard and Dan, and they claimed that they had been there at the scene of the abduction that night. And originally what they told Hopkins was that they were New York policemen, but it would later come out that they were actually bodyguards. It is believed that they were bodyguards for the United Nations Secretary, Javier Perez de Coulard. Um, and furthermore, the pair would, it would be claimed that they had CIA connections. So Richard and Dan said that their vehicle stalled just beneath the underpass of FDR Drive, which is right outside of Linda's apartment. And uh, there was a huge disc above the apartment on the opposite side of the Brooklyn Bridge. And it was UFO shaped. So a, a woman followed by three creatures started to float up into the air into this craft and once on board, the object would descend at a frightening pace into the East River. Yeah. So, uh, in 1991, Linda then gets in contact later with Bud Hopkins with an x-ray of her nasal cavity, showing a cylindrical object. 
Hopkins said that it had spiraling extensions that curled out away from her face. The x-ray was taken, though. So here we go. The x-ray was taken by Linda's niece, Lisa Bayer, a pediatric surgeon. Shortly after, Linda claimed the object was taken out during another abduction. Linda visited a nose and throat specialist and confirmed that the object was gone and the, a conspicuous ridge of built-up cartilage showed where it had been. Oh. So there was evidence of this actual thing in her nose. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So in April of 1991, so th- this is all according to Linda. I want to interject. Okay. She says that both men, uh, Richard and Dan, would kidnap her, literally dragging her into a car as she walked along the street. They interrogated her for several hours, uh, accused her of having some involvement in recent events. They would release her without harm, and she was very shaken up by this experience. Six months later, uh, they kidnapped her again. But this time it was just by Dan and he would take her to a safe house and uh, convince, he said he was convinced that she was in on the abduction incident and threatened her and she escaped the property. And then Dan recaptured her later on when she was on the beach. Now, then Richard arrived shortly after and stopped Dan from drowning her in the ocean. So... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then he managed to sedate his partner and he returned uh, and they returned to Manhattan and she didn't see Dan again, but she would hear from Richard around a month after the second kidnapping. And he informed her that Dan was dangerously obsessed with her and was in a mental facility. So they don't know what happens to Richard and Dan after that point. Now, uh, Linda's husband, son, and friend did vouch for uh, Dan and Richard's existence and having met Richard or one of them. And uh, around the same time, uh, Hopkins got in touch with several other witnesses of the Manhattan Bridge uh, incident. So one was, uh, Janet Kimball. Uh, she said that she, that her car also stalled on the Brooklyn bridge in the early hours of November 30th, 1989. And she went on to describe the same scene as the two bodyguards had described. Uh, at the time, uh, she believed she was witnessing special effects from a movie being filmed out there and that she didn't put the connection till uh, Linda's story came out in the news. So Bud Hopkins in total claims that there was 22 witnesses to uh, the event or to Richard and Dan uh, kidnapping and harassing Linda. In total, 22 people can't 
corroborate, I can never say that word, corroborate what actually went on. So, so witnesses have continued to come forward well into the 2000s and uh, several corroborating witnesses to the presence of the UN limousine procession in the morning. Uh, A well-known journalist with the New York Post was leaving a bar close to the office of the paper after realizing he was too drunk to drive. He asked one of the newspaper's drivers to take him home. Uh, Then a reply came back that the, the lorries, I don't know what that is. Lorries. The what? Is it Brit? Well, I think it's British for trucks. If that's. Oh yeah. Okay. The lorries were unable to leave. So, (laughs) Several several limos are blocking the street, and that is believed to be one of the limos that Richard and Dan was in, uh, and this Kular gentleman. <laughs> uh, so uh, perhaps the most intriguing possibility, the most valuable recollection is those of Yancey Spence, uh, in the article, The Day Manhattan Stood Still, he would recall of being in the office of the New York Post building and along with several other witnesses uh, the, to the events unfolding, he would also put forward his belief of the abduction of several journalists that evening. So it has come out that maybe possibly several people were abducted at the same time and that their memory was wiped because there really should be more witnesses to that day than I mean honestly than 22 at the time so with that being said Linda Cortile's story may not be completely believable although there are 22 witnesses Mm -hmm. so I watched several interviews with Bud Hopkins and it's very interesting the amount of of uh, research that he has got or he put together and collected, you know, over time of these people. But this is really just these people's like Benny and Barney Hill, Benny and Barney, Benny, Betty and Barney Hill. <laughs> uh, like it's really their story against what you know. Yeah there's no other witnesses. This ha- even though this story had 22 witnesses, many of these witnesses didn't come forward until uh, after the fame of the story. Mm-hmm. Also, Richard and Dan, them actually existing really is hard to say, you know? Yeah. Um, there was one point where uh, in one of the interviews I'm watching, Linda is basically saying how she's with her cousin Connie and Connie sees uh, Dan try to abduct her and pull her into a cat. Like she, she thought she was being picked up by this van that she had arranged. But when they opened up the van, there was a man crouched down in it that tried to grab her and Connie grabs her from the back and there's like a tug of war and so she thinks she's being abducted uh, or being kidnapped and uh but hopkins is like well i want to talk to connie and uh 
Linda's like, yeah, you should talk to Connie. I'd really like you to meet her. And Bud Hopkins is like, yeah, I'd like to meet her. And so then later on, he gets this phone call like days later and uh, his, his wife, Carol, is like, who was that on the phone? And he was like, that was Linda pretending to be Connie. Hmm. You know, she called him and pretended to be Connie to have another witness to this incident. Hmm. So the documentary I watched, just like a clip of that Carol Rainey did, she's very skeptical of what happens. And she even goes on to list all of the claims that Linda has made over the years, which now I'm going to read to you. Uh So (laughs) she claims that she uh, she was abducted by, uh, by UFOs or by UFO uh, that abducted by federal agents. Okay. So like what I said that Uh, abducted by aliens with her girlfriend from one of Bud's support groups. Uh, abducted by aliens with mafia head John Gotti, abducted by aliens. Oh, sorry. Uh, Abducted by aliens with mafia head John Gotti, abducted by aliens with a top United Nations official. Uh, Officials from the CIA and Air Force witnessed uh, her abduction. Both security agents were obsessed with Linda. Uh, she may or may not be part alien. She has immortal blood cells. Uh, she is the descendant of Joan of Arc. Oh, wow. (laughs) She was once a professional singer in a popular girl band, uh, Harvard. Yeah. Like not Britney. So Harvard an alien implant for 15 years, uh, met with Cardinal O'Connor was summoned to a private meeting with the Pope, was inside the World Trade Center when the airplane struck, what? Uh, had an agreement with Hopkins to split the profits of his book, Witnessed, which is all about mm-hmm. uh, about her story, which I'll get into in just a bit. Some of those <laughs> honestly go along with what the whole story is. Um also her being abducted multiple times that's kind of an ongoing theme with a lot of these people's stories um the only one i would say that i don't believe out of that whole list would be that she was inside the world trade center when the airplane struck but you know the rest of them i mean i could see how the pope would be interested in her you know because of the vatican and you know the secrets that they have and the yeah. fact that I don't know aliens are mentioned in the Bible, in what is it Ezekiel, you know I mean I could see that, but <laughs> once it's all listed, it's like oh yeah this is kind of a lot of things, so yeah, so the agreement to split the profits for the book, that may or may not be what motivated her to make up some of these lies, you know huh. whether or not her original story is true or not, oh, some of the claims might be more embellished upon because of profits from the book that was going to come out or has come out, but at the time was going to. So, but Hopkins denies that he 
was going to split the profits with her and that she was going to get any profit from the book. Uh, and Linda claims that she planted this disinformation, but doesn't say why, that she just spread the lie about splitting the profits for some reason. So, uh, so on Friday, September 5th, 1997, Linda is quoted in an interview saying, my financial stake in Bud's book, Witness, enabled me to fill a cavity at the dentist office. It was good of Bud to offer me, which I did not want to accept, a fraction of what he was given. He felt better when I accepted the token he offered. And she said, I appreciate his feelings more than I appreciate the token he offered. He has a heart and that's, and that matters to me. So Carol Rainey later claims that that is not true and that Linda was extremely interested in getting her profits from the book and that there was an agreement on the profits. And, you know, Bud's previous book was made into a movie. So that's why Linda would be interested in it. And Carol Rainey actually had proof of a contract in her documentary that there was a contract with certain percentages discussed. So how I feel about this story, I don't know. But I think that it's very interesting that there were so many witnesses, but could all these people be liars or some of them may not exist because Linda made them up. So that one, I don't know. I just found that that whole thing to be quite interesting. And the whole implant thing is terrifying, you know, as well. However, it was her niece who did the x-ray initially. But how do you fake an x-ray? Right. I think you'd have to be a technician and know what you're doing, at least. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. Know your way around this actual machine. Put something in your nose. I don't know. Yeah. But Linda, yeah, like those claims that you read, that's a lot Mm -hmm. of claims. Like just just comparing it like to the Hills case, for instance, you know, like you said, that was like a singular incident, kind of a one time thing. Even though I guess Betty claimed that, you know, after her husband's death that she still had encounters, but, um, you know, who knows? I don't know, but, but yeah, that's for, for your, um, for your person. Yeah. Like, wow, (laughs) that's crazy. Like the mob and just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So I don't know that, uh, I thought that one was pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. That people actually saw her like floating outside of her house, heading on up. But I don't know. I, I, there was just so much about people having these abduction stories that would happen continuously. Like these aliens are trying to conduct an experiment and at, has to do with genetics and there were so many stories about like like her saying she's part alien 
like there were a lot of stories about people taking like ovaries from women and creating alien hybrids and like these aliens are like oh look this is your child you know and it's like obviously like part human part alien you know to these people which is absolutely terrifying you know yeah i mean so it's dana scully's baby basically you know (laughs) i I always think of like the like different theories of like uh, different like levels of society like like I, I always have this fear that if there's some alien life out there that it's going to treat us like the same way we treat animals in the zoo. Yeah. This is your baby. We found this yeah. baby chimpanzee. It's now your baby chimpanzee. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. It's, uh, it feels like a Star Trek episode. You know, yeah. No. But you know, it's like just like little things like that. Like they're the ant theory. Like that we're just so insignificant that people, you know civilization would think there's so little of us that they would just do whatever the hell they wanted oh god yeah it's pretty scary yeah tia i i'm glad you got into the whole like description of the experiments and stuff because i actually forgot to mention that with the hills but it's like the same kind of stuff you know i mean i i figure if you're like you know anything's you know mildly you know, stereotypical or could you call it stereotypical about aliens? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could. Stereotypical abduction, you know, yeah. Yeah. Taken beyond your will. Right. Surgically implanted with with something. Yeah, like for Betty, you know, the big thing was, I mean, they did all the, you know, horrendous things that you already talk about, like, you know, taking like hair samples you know, skin samples, I don't know, nail clippings. They took all that stuff. Um, But for Betty, uh, she said that they inserted like this long needle into her navel, her belly button area. And that was to do some kind of pregnancy test. uh, Yeah. Um, And it wasn't right. Like that one. Yeah. And it wasn't pleasant, she said. And, and Barney, um, you know, had like a similar thing where he, he, uh, doesn't know how it happened because <laughs> he says he doesn't, he didn't experience an orgasm, but somehow they collected semen from him. Hmm. So, uh, that's why, like when I forgot to mention that too, but they got back home and he wanted to like examine his genital area right away because, he felt like something had definitely happened, but he couldn't really tell, you know, because he couldn't tell. So, so yeah. So anyway, I, I'm just glad you got into all that because yeah, probably I didn't get into it. Maybe I, that was on purpose. That kind of stuff scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Too. <laughs> no, me quite a bit. Like I think one of my biggest fears would be to be abducted and yeah. Uh, yeah. I so not I imagine. <laughs> Yeah. No. I hope we thoroughly scared our audience. Hopefully so. Yeah. I mean, it is scary. But then when you're not like focused on the scary part of it, you know, just so strange, you know, mm-hmm. so odd. And, you know, like I said, I'm 
I'm more inclined to believe than than I am to be skeptical. But that's just me. I mean, mm. I'm already a believer in most of these kind of things, or I guess I wouldn't be here. So <laughs> that's what I always used to tell people on the tours anyway. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, have you seen a ghost? I'm like, not actually, but I'm a big believer. And yeah. I but felt I energy. That's about it, you know, but maybe there's, I don't know if there's a reason why or not, but you know, mm. that's okay. I'm willing to roll with it. So <laughs> it's all about the, the um adventure right so <laughs> in that sense anyway <laughs> yeah. all right so yeah good luck sleeping tonight <laughs> <laughs> all right so better um, you put the light on <laughs> on that note thank you all for joining us for our first episode of Yay. my weird little podcast Woo -hoo. Yay. And stay spooky, everyone. <laughs>